Welcome to Imagine Radio, featuring insights and opinions from thought leaders and subject matter experts in the HIM and healthcare industry to help you stay educated and informed. Imagine Radio is back. I'm your host, Todd Youngblood. Welcome back. My next guest is Deirdre LeBlanc. She's Vice President, Health Information Management for Parkland Health and Hospital System. Dee, welcome and thanks for taking the time out to join us. Good afternoon. I appreciate the opportunity. Could you, just to get us kicked off here, give us a quick sketch of your background. What led you to where you are now? Well, I've been working in HIM for probably 20 to 30 years. Started out in non-credentialed and then moved into that transition as Later in life, my job experiences have been more in the acute care setting. Earlier, it was in the clinic setting. So I've had a multitude of opportunity to work. So feel like my experiences have kind of molded who I am today and how I interact with the challenges in HIM we face today. There are a few. There are a few. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Parkland Health and Hospital. Well, Parkland is a county hospital in Dallas, Texas, known probably by a lot of people for the issue that happened with the president. So we try to move past that. Parkland is a brand new county facility, which we're very proud of, and I'm very pleased to be associated with. And so we try to move past what's been known in our history to what we're most proud of today, which is an excellent facility. That's the right attitude, and for what my humble opinion is worth. The topic that we want to talk about is making a transition from profit coding to a facility setting, and that's, frankly, quite an intimidating thought <laughs> for someone <laughs> looking at it from the outside in, and I would guess the more familiar one is with that whole environment, the more intimidating that experience might be. So talk a little bit about the kind of factors that someone's in a position of the HIM leader. What kind of factors should you look for that would make you you think, hey, maybe we should consider making that kind of a transition? Well, absolutely. You know, our providers are very busy and they're busy learning what it is and staying up on what they need to know to practice medicine to the best of their ability. Being a coder requires the same kind of commitment to education. Well, when you ask a provider to do coding, you're asking them basically to be a stellar physician and a stellar coder, and that can be difficult. Two different animals. Mm -hmm. best of times. So making sure that the quality of what they're doing is where it needs to be. And when it's not making that transition or that decision to move the final coding out of the realm of the provider and into the realm of individuals who have chosen coding as their profession and stay up on all of the guidelines necessary to be done right. How do you know when you're at that point? I mean, that's a tough question. It, I understand it. But, it you know, is. are there some quantitative metrics, perhaps, that you might want to look at or trends? Absolutely. You should probably have an external or an internal audit process where you're looking at what's the level of quality your providers are reaching in their coding of those services. And only your organization decides what that threshold is. When you look at it, you decide where you need to be. And if you're not there, what do you need to do to get from where you are to where you need to be? And that may be educating providers and adding more resources for them, or it may be transitioning them out of the main function of coding and providing that service over by a profi coder. Dee, you said something very interesting there. and You said the organization decides. And I get that. I mean, I understand exactly what you mean by that. But the implication underneath it, I think, is there's got to be multiple people from different disciplines within the organization. And each individual 
salutes and says, yes, that's the right way to go. That strikes me as non-trivial <laughs> well, to make that happen. Absolutely, because any organization knows to have a reliable organization. You have to have a compliance team. And with that compliance team, you have to look at what are those metrics for the organization that brings compliance into the focus. Mm-hmm. And so when I say only the organization decides, that's a multidisciplinary collaborative approach. Right. It's not a one-stop shop. And you need to have all those parties at the table when that decision is made because you're going to need that support either way you go with your decision. I get it. In fact, I was just going to ask you to keep talking about that journey because it's one thing to make the decision. And I can see the team. I'm making air quotes over on video so we can see the air quotes. You know, the team makes the decision and then, okay, D, (laughs) go get them and do the implementation. That doesn't sound like a winning strategy to me. So talk a little bit about how to keep that team together from the point of decision where everybody's enthusiastic and yes, it is the right thing for the organization to do through to actually getting it done. Well, thankfully, HIM professionals have historically been the champions for this kind of process in the facility coding. So it makes sense that we're brought to the table when the idea that something different is going to be explored from traditional profi coding to what the future might look like and what does that look like from a facility coding perspective. So naturally, we have to look at what are the resources that it takes to do that coding because our facility coders are not necessarily equipped to just simply take over professional fee coding. It's a different skill set. And so the decisions are how do you prepare and transition to that? You first have to look at what your skill sets are. What is it going to take? What's your volume? And all of those have to be part of your decision-making process to make that successful. You also have to get the provider's buy-in because... That's the easy, they, the easy part, right? Yeah. That's yeah, always, I'm smiling. <laughs> that's always the yeah. easy part. But for the most part, if we haven't done a good job of explaining to them where their opportunities are, they're not going to understand why change needs to happen. And change is, is never easy for anyone. And half the battle is making sure that the change agents can explain the reason for the change. So you've got to get the providers on board. And there has to be something that circles back to them. And so... For me, my position has always been if we're going to look to something in the future, there needs to be a win for all the parties. So Mm -hmm. how do we go back to a provider who may not have done something correctly? Education needs to be a part of it, even if they're not the final coder. So getting them on board and giving them what they need so that your transition process is less extensive from the resource Mm -hmm. needs. You want Your coders who are looking at this and recoding things to touch as few cases as possible. That's how you're efficient. So the only way to reduce that is to make sure your providers have the education and direction they need to do a better job on the front end. Together, collaboratively, we work toward a better final product. And that only happens if everybody's interested in working together. Gotcha. The answer to this next question is probably going to be, it depends. So I, under, <laughs> I understand that, but who's the ideal leader for this transition for the implementation team? Is it an HIM professional? And I'll say typically, you know, individual circumstances will dictate it. But what are your thoughts on the characteristics of that team leader for the transition? Well, because I'm an HIM professional, naturally, I'm going to say HIM. I would, think, seasoned, I would have been surprised it, with anything else. It's <laughs> a seasoned and natural leader, but it requires a collaboration. By no means should HIM believe as they enter a new realm 
that just because things work well in the realm that they're most familiar with, that it's going to work in that other environment. So bringing the right people to the table and making sure that you have a collaboration is what it takes. Now, HIM leaders as a whole do a real good job of change agent from that perspective, but understanding where their gaps are is important to success. And naturally, we want to be successful. So we've got to get the right people at the table, even if we're leading the charge. Dee, you've several times said get the right people to the table. Does that include any outside resources? Should it? And what kind of scenarios should it? When you say outside resources, what? Uh, Outside coding education, outside coders. Well, absolutely. I mean, generally, if you haven't had that resource available, you're going to have to open the recruiting to bring in coders who have that skill set to do professional fee coding. Because the doctors have been doing it. You haven't necessarily been doing it. Your coders haven't been doing it. So there are coders out there that do do that level of coding. Mm -hmm. So bringing them into the table. But that's really at the end. But you certainly need to... All the heavy lifting is already done by the time you get to that point. In terms of the planning. In terms of the planning. But it never hurts to then revisit that when you have them at the table so that you can make sure that any of the gaps they might help fill with their experience can be addressed before it becomes a problem that someone would have said, well, if I had only been asked, I might could have helped avoid this pitfall. (laughs) Gotcha. One more piece of the journey to this. Once implementation is done and you're kind of over that, the biggest piece of the change, there's a tendency sometime with a large project, everybody sort of (sighs) takes a breath and backs down a little bit. Do you see that as an issue? And what kind of things do you do to maintain the momentum of continuous improvement once that transition has been made? Well, it requires just that, the continuous process, the plan, do, check, act. So you have an education process, you have an audit process. So you retest yourself and you track and trend that so that you can say, you know, what's your initial threshold and goal? When you meet it, you move the needle up and you continue to strive for improvement and you continue to check back if you're moving in that direction. Dee, I've got to tell you, you're so calm. In talking through all these issues, I'm trying to picture myself in a chair like yours doing all the planning and team leading and transitioning. So I'm hats off to you for the calm, cool demeanor. We're just about out of time here, Dee. Before I let you go, I mean, you've got a lot of deep insights in this transitioning from pro fee to facility setting. And folks may want to get a hold of you. How can folks reach out and touch and communicate with you a little bit? Well, they can certainly reach me by email. My email is, as my name is spelled, deidre.leblanc at phh.org. And they're welcome to give me a call. My phone number is 214-590-5454. Deirdre LeBlanc, Vice President Health Information Management for Parkland Health and Hospital System. Thanks for taking the time out and sharing some of your insights. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. That wraps this segment. On behalf of my guest, Dee LeBlanc, I'm Todd Youngblood, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Imagine Radio. 